All right. Hosea, final thought. In the story of Hosea and his rebellious wife, Gomer, Hosea came to realize the personal hurt and pain that God felt for his rebellious wife, Israel. So he saw Israel's sin in following false gods as a spiritual or as spiritual adultery and spiritual prostitution. Yet Hosea saw God's long suffering. Now, if you got a pencil or something, underline that long suffering. Because he saw God's long suffering toward Israel. And then he also saw God's love towards Israel. Underline that word love. And his desire, underline desire, for fellowship with Israel. Because that's what he longed for with the relationship with his wife. And so Hosea was long-suffering towards Gomer. He loved Gomer and he had a desire to have fellowship and, and a relationship with her. And yet she ran off and prostituted herself. And yet he saw the same thing with God in Israel. Okay, And Hosea understands God's yearning for his people to come back to him. Now, again, going through the book of Hosea gets kind of redundant in the middle section of the book because you're, you're, you're off of the story with Gomer and Hosea and basically on the story of everything that Israel is doing wrong. And yet it gets kind of downhearting. I mean, I mean, the more time we look at it, it's like, this is depressing. Well, think about God's viewpoint. It's depressing for God to continue to see his people backslide. He wants to give them good things. He gives them good promises and they continually do what's wrong. Now, all of us, I think, in here, except for Mark, well, no, I I want to count Mark and myself too. I mean, we've all had kids. Has everybody in here had kids? Okay. Have you ever had your kid just treat you like dirt? Mm -hmm. Does that feel good? Mm -hmm. No. And yet... That's what God feels like when His children disobey Him. Okay? And so Hosea saw that. And he wrote it in a book. And why? So we'll see that. We need to realize that too. So God yearns for His people to come back to Him. And it's been 2,900 years since Hosea wrote this book. He wrote it 700 B.C. And we're already at you know, 2022, I mean, do the math, we're close. Might be a little fuzzy math going on here. But I mean, it's been a long time. And God is still waiting on Israel to come back. Okay? So we also saw, moving on, in the middle chapters of the book, that God had a controversy with Israel. Do you guys remember that? You know, we started seeing right off the beginning of the chapters, it says, God has a controversy with his people. So it was almost like God was putting out a court case against his people and, and laying all the, all the uh, uh, announcements that they were doing wrong and, and, and getting a court case ready against them. So he has a controversy with Israel. He had a controversy with their king with their princes, with their priests, and with the people. So that pretty well put everybody in there, didn't it? But then, again, you got to remember, God always has His faithful few. Okay? But in chapter 4, verse 1, God had a controversy with the inhabitants of the land because there's no knowledge of God in the land. So what is the knowledge of God? 
It's His Word. Okay? Thank goodness we have God's knowledge. It's in this book. Okay? They didn't have that. So I don't know what they did with it, but they downplayed it. They threw it on the shelf. They, they took it and put it in the back seat of their back window of their car. They put it somewhere and wasn't paying attention to it. And so he had a controversy with them because there was no knowledge of God in the land. And in chapters 5 and 6, God had a controversy with Israel because they had rejected that knowledge. Not, not only had they displaced it, not only had they put it away, they just flat out rejected it. Okay? And God says that He will reject them. Oh, that's what hurts. How far do you have to go before God pulls your chain? You know? I don't know. I've always wondered about that with people because I've seen pastors fall and I'm like, how far did God let that pastor go before he yanked his chain? Well, I, you know, that's, that's kind of like, you know, I've said before, how many licks on the Tootsie Pop does it take to get to the sinner, you know? Here's what I do know. I don't want to find out how long it takes for me to get to the end of the chain, Okay. That's what we should all be worried about. Okay, I don't want to go that far, and to get and to get and to stop from getting that far. And when I'm out of God's will, what do I need to do in my life? Now, if you've been through D one, you know this. Go to First John one nine. And repent and confess. And then God will what? Cleanse us, love us, and cleanse us. And forgive us, right? Okay, and we're throwing some things in there. But that's what we need to do, okay? so But at this point, God had got to the point where he was basically done with Israel. And basically, that's why we saw in the middle of Hosea, he says, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill your kids. I'm killing everybody. I'm going to kill your dog. I mean, that was the attitude that he had. And then we get to the next chapter, and it's like, God's going to restore him. And I'm like, no, wait a minute. <laughs> What's going on here? How can you get so bad that God says, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you go and I'm going to basically let you get destroyed till I'm going to restore you. But yet, that's God. That's His long-suffering. And God had made promises with Abraham and, and the descendants. And so, He cannot let them go forever. But He's going to, He is going to judge them and it's going to be one long judgment. Because like I said, 2,000 plus years. Okay. And we reach a point where God sets them apart for judgment. At the end of the book of Hosea, because I'm kind of just going through the, the, the uh, outline of the book, I'm actually on the back page, so I should have started on the other page. Oh, well. So, God says He's going to re- reject them. He sets them over for judgment. But at the end of the book, Hosea, we see a turning point for Israel. Judgment is finished. Sin is forgiven, and the continual backsliding to worship other gods is taken care of. Because that's been their problem from day one. God's plan and God's promises and His... You have a blank there, don't you? And His... What do you think goes in that? God's plan and His promises and His blank for Israel. Love could go in there, but I'm going to put restoration. He's going to restore them. Because again, that's the theme of Hosea. God is going to restore Israel. Okay? And then it says the final victory, though, is God's love. So, do you have a blank there? The final victory is God's... Is that a blank? No. Okay, so you do have love there. Okay. So, Israel 
is the real Cinderella story. Have you heard of people talk about, well, this person is the Cinderella story because they went from rags to riches. Okay? Well, I used to think that's the church, but it is, but it's also Israel. So though Israel is still rejecting God's love now, she will realize her mistake in the near future in the tribulation. And if you're taking notes, let me give you two passages. Matthew 24, 15 and Mark 13, 14. In fact, let's go to the passage in Matthew. Matthew 24. I can't believe I did that. I put page numbers on these things and I... Uh, you guys got page numbers. And I have page numbers. I just went over it and started on page 2. So we're going to where? Matthew 24. Let me get there. Matthew twenty four fifteen. Let's back up just a little bit. Let's back up to thirteen to get to context. But he that shall and we're talking about the he there is the Jews, but the Jews that shall endure until the end and you can put tribulation there the same shall be saved, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Verse 15, When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whosoever readeth, let him understand, and let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. So that is going to be when Israel gets reborn or restored, when they come to their senses to realize that the Antichrist is not the Messiah. So when that Messiah stands in the temple, let me go back and read this. It says, When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation, so, that's basically the Antichrist, spoken of by Daniel the prophet. Stand in the holy place, in the temple. Whosoever readeth, let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. So, the point that Israel gets reborn again or gets restored is in the middle of the tribulation when the person that they think is the Messiah stands in the temple and they realize he is not the Messiah, he is the Antichrist, they are going to realize that they put the real Messiah on the cross and they're going to ask God for forgiveness. Now, they're going to have the two witnesses there, Moses and Elijah. I think it's Elijah. Okay, get Elijah and Elisha mixed up. And they're going to be telling them also, and they're going to flee to the mountains. Now, here it says mountains. Other places it says mountain. My wife and I always have a discussion. Is that a certain mountain or, or what? And, you know, and we know they flee to Petra. Uh, so I don't know. I don't know if it's just to the, any mountain or a certain mountain. Maybe Elijah and Moses are going to be telling them which mountain. That I do not know. So the Jews, the Jews in... Yes. And when they realize who he is, they're going to call out to God and God will save them as a nation at that time. And they are restored. And then they run to the mountains. And they run to the mountains. Yes. Okay. If they don't make it to the mountains, they will be killed by the Antichrist. 
So, so my point is, what is it that this Antichrist does in the temple that gets them to realize he's not who he says he is? Because it doesn't really say. I don't know. It would be speculation if you say, I have a few ideas. But I, I can't back any of them up. I have a feeling he probably starts doing a sacrifice. I, I have a feeling he does a sacrifice. And I don't think the sacrifice is going to be an animal. I think it's probably going to be a person or a human. And that may do it. Now, I don't know. But, I mean, what would it that get them to realize, hey, this isn't the, the Messiah. Messiah isn't going to kill people for a sacrifice. I don't know. Something is going to get them to realize they've messed up. And as a group collectively, they get restored again into a nation. Now that's a lot of prophecy going on, okay? I wonder also, could it be that he starts, you know, exalting himself when we know that Christ always exalted his Father? It could be. It could be a combination of things. But whatever it is, it's drastic enough to get them to see this. Because all the way from Christ's crucifixion to now, they don't believe that he's the Messiah. So what is it that's going to do that? So, so, but, so Israel is the real Cinderella story. So they will turn back to God and they'll be saved as a nation. And the next line says, and they will live happily ever after. Okay. So there's one of those happily after after stories. Now turn back on to page one. Let me go through that a little bit. Yes. You had Matthew twenty four said what was Mark? The other one is Mark thirteen fourteen. Thirteen fourteen. Now, I find that very interesting because they're in all the gospels are Jewish books, but they're in those two books that basically are are really the emphasis is to the Jews. And so uh, it's interesting. But uh, Hosea final thoughts page one. So these are things. The blanks on this page, we've already went through. So I'm really just kind of seeing if you guys picked up on it, how good a teacher I was, or do I just have a bad class? I don't know, but we're going to find... I know that's not true, because you guys are the A-team here, right? So, written around 725 B.C., it has 14 chapters, 197 verses, 5,175 words, and the author is who? Hosea. Okay. Now, one thing we have to realize is, you know, we got the, the major prophets and we got the minor prophets. And, and if you look at the Bible and you think, oh, it's a consecutive written book, everything is in consecutive order. That's not true. Our Bible's mixed up all over the place. So basically, the prophets take place at the same time that the period of the kings take place. So when all the kings are on, that's when we're seeing the prophets come out. And we usually see the prophets when things are not going well because the priests aren't doing their job and the Levites aren't doing their job the king's not doing his job so the, God has to spend, send in his special forces the marines, I mean the prophets to get the word out Okay. one time, whenever we're in trouble we see a prophet mm-hmm. whenever they were in, in, in deep apostasy you'll see, a, you'll see a prophet now I don't know, I've heard that every time I've seen it that's true I don't know if it's 100%, but I have an inkling it is. Because God's prophets... A prophet was a special uh, preacher that God sent. And he wouldn't be sending them if they were doing right. Okay? 
So again, they're like their special God's special forces. And these guys were not wimpy guys. I mean, they're tough guys. They're like John the Baptist, you know. They're not some little wimp walking around, you know, with with a, a you know a shark suit on and their hair greased back. These guys were men. Okay, I, I have I have a problem when you see pastors and they just look like you know. Uh, their hands are all, they, they've never, you know, changed oil in their car. They don't know how to mow their grass. They, they, they don't know how to do anything manly. You know, I just call them wimps. And yet, that's not what a real man looks like. And so when I see a preacher that gets up there, it looks like an old sailor. I like that guy. And really, I like the ones that are kind of bald because I just know they're right there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, and I always think when I lived in Guatemala, there were a lot of preachers that were calling themselves prophets. Uh, oh, do you realize what you're really talking about? Right. Mm. And did you, have you read the prophets and what they went through? Do you want to be a prophet? Mm. Yeah. Because you know, like you're saying, they're just trying to draw attention to themselves because they're special because God has given them something. He hasn't given us in the New Testament anything different than what's in the book. Okay, so where are we at here? Uh, the name Hosea means what? Savior. Salvation. Salvation. Savior. It's a, it, it's a derivative off of Jesus and Joshua. It says, He lived and he prophesied during the same time as Isaiah and Micah. His message was addressed to the northern tribes. Northern tribes. Very good, Mark. And how many northern tribes were there? Now there's ten. There's ten of them, remember? Two stayed in the south, which was Judah and Benjamin, and the rest all revolted with uh, Jeroboam. And it says Hosea, in the next line there, Hosea is a picture of somebody. Who's Hosea a picture of? God. Okay, because he is the husband. And Gomer, his wife, is a picture of? I heard Israel. Israel. Okay, so we've got Hosea and his wife are a picture of God in Israel. Okay, in the book. Are you missing a blank? Yes, God referred to the northern tribes also. Oh, okay. Israel as several things we saw. Right. Particularly, he calls them Ephraim in the book. And remember why he called called them by Ephraim a lot. Ephraim was the major was the largest probably tribe, had the most population and the most corrupt. That's where Ephraim is where one of the golden calves was in Bethel. And so that was in the tribe of Ephraim. So a lot of times he's addressing Ephraim in the book. He also refers to them as Samaria in the book also. But over and over he does call them Ephraim. All right, so we got halfway through the next one. So God often compared his relationship with Israel to that of a marriage. Israel is the wife of God. And uh, you got a blank? The church is the bride of Christ. Now, I think you've got too many blanks in there. That's one of my corrections. I was trying to get corrected today. I just couldn't do it. So, if if the church is the bride, who is Christ? The husband. The, he's not husband yet. He's the groom. 
He is the groom. Okay. So our next line is, Hosea lays an emphasis on Israel's judgment, repentance, and their what, people? Restoration. Restoration. If you don't get anything out of this study, you need to get that down. Because again, there are people in, in our time, in our period right now, that say God's done with Israel and the church takes on all those promises. No, 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 no. Not only in the Old Testament does he say he's, they're going to be restored, we see it in the book of Romans too. I mean, you can't miss it. It's there. So if you've got somebody that says God's done with Israel, they're not dividing their Bible right, and yet they don't know their Bible because they're just flat taking uh, ownership of something that does not belong to them. Okay. And so the outline of the book. Uh, first of all, we see an unfaithful wife to a faithful husband, chapters 1 through 3. And that was pretty easy to get down. And then chapters 4 through 7, we see an unfaithful Israel to a faithful God. And that talks about judgment and just over and over Israel sins and their judgment. Okay, And then uh, in chapters 8 through 10, we really see the judgment come out of Israel for their sins. So sins goes in your blank. So the second stage was we see all the sins of Israel and yet the third step is the judgment on those sins. God's always going to judge sin. Okay? And then number four, at the end of the book, we see the restoration of Israel. 11 through 14. So there are two great lessons found in this book. Probably way more than that. But uh, number one, when you reject God, you will be judged. God will judge you. So if we think we can get by with stuff, do not think that. God will judge us. Okay? And don't think you're hiding. And number two, God's promises always come back to pass or come to pass. It may take thousands of years, but they will happen, okay? And yet we know they haven't been restored yet because Israel has not put their faith back in Christ yet. And yet that is coming very, very soon because the attention is going away from the church right now and it's getting back to Israel. It really is. So we see the story in uh, uh, Hosea. What Hosea wants to happen is a restoration. He wants to see the prodigal son come home. So when we read that prodigal son, you hear people preach all the time, that's the church. Technically, we're in the Gospels. It's really particularly talking to Israel. Israel should be the prodigal son, and they haven't come home yet. Okay. So again, there's, there's things we always, you know, when we start reading through the Gospels, when we start reading through Matthew, Mark, we start wanting to take all those things and apply them to us, and they don't quite fit. Now, some things kind of go over because we have a relationship with God, just like Israel has a relationship with God, but we can't take their promises and they can't take ours. Okay? So, Hosea basically tells the history of, of, of uh, Israel and the downfall of the northern kingdom, but really the downfall of the Israelites from day one at, when they came out of Egypt. It's always been the case. And the reason is because Israel's always had a sin problem. 
And from the day that that uh, Charlton and Heston brought them out of Egypt, I mean, I'm sorry, um, um, Moses brought them out of Egypt. Why? Now that's going to be coming around again because Easter's that coming up. Why do they put that story of the Ten Commandments on on Easter? Have you ever wondered that? Because it's the time of the Passover, I think maybe. Yeah, but I don't think they get that. No, they don't. But, I mean, that is a connection because that is the first Passover there. But I know they don't get that, or most secular people don't get that. But but we understand that when we know the Bible. So from the very first day that, that they came out of Egypt, Israel has been rebelling against God in the wilderness. Can you imagine? They went through all the things that they saw God do, and when they get out in the wilderness, what do they start doing? Complaining, murmuring. They really start rebelling against God. And then there's several times that there are people that end up, they want to go back to Egypt because they thought it was so great there, which is, it's like... That they were slaves there. Yeah, it's crazy. It's like, oh, when we were in Egypt, our life was good. We had flesh in the pots. We had everything. We had a, we had a bed to sleep in. But you were slaves. And you know what? That is human nature today. People want to stay in the world because it's comforting to them. But you know what? That's, that's a short-lived comfort. What good does comfort do if you're a slave? You know? And so, but they've always had that mindset. Think about going through the, 40, the 400 years through the book of Judges. Did they do what was right? No, constantly they would get out of God's will and they'd go and serve other uh, other god, fake fake gods, and God would have to bring in a judge and it would go through the circle again, and over and over and over it would go, and then all the way through the kings. There's been a few times where a few people in Israel obeyed God and did what was right, but for the majority of the time, they were awol. And so when we read the story of Hosea, it's really the story of the nation of Israel from day one. They've been rebellious, and they've rejected God, and it's not going to get fixed until the end of the tribulation, okay? Even today, going through the Gospels, going through the church age, Israel is still rebellious, okay? And uh, not till the end. So I think that's it. Let me, let me, I want you guys to turn back to, uh, and I'm going to be done. Turn back in your Bible to 1 Samuel. This isn't in my notes, but we've got to get rolling here. 1 Samuel 12. And let me just read this chapter real quick. 1 Samuel chapter 12. This is the story of Samuel and the people winning a king. And Samuel said unto all Israel, Behold, I have hearkened unto your voice and all that you said unto me, and have made a king over you. And now, behold, the king walketh before you, and I am old and gray-headed, and behold, my sons are with you, and I have walked before you from my childhood, childhood unto this day. Behold, here I am, witness against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken, or whose ass have I taken, or whom have I defrauded, whom have I oppressed, or of what hand have I received any bribe to blind mine eyes wherewith, and I will restore it you. 
And they said, Thou hast not defrauded us, nor, depra- nor oppressed us, neither hast thou taken aught of any man's hand. And he said unto them, The Lord is witness against you, and his anointed is witness this day that ye have not found aught in my hand. And they answered, He is witness. And Samuel said unto the people, It is the Lord that advanced Moses and Aaron. Okay, so it wasn't Charlton Eston, it was the Lord. Okay, got that clear. Verse 6. Okay, Moses and Aaron, well, it's actually God. It is the Lord that advanced Moses and Aaron and that brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. Now, therefore, stand still that I may reason with you before the Lord of all the righteous acts of the Lord, which he did to you and to your fathers. When Jacob was coming to Egypt and your fathers cried unto the Lord, then the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, which brought forth your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place. And when they forgot the Lord their God and sold them into the... And when they forgot... Or it actually says, forgot the Lord their God. He, God, sold them into the hand of Sisera, captain of the host of Hazor, and into the hand of the Philistines, into the hand of the king of Moab, and they fought against him. And they cried unto the Lord again, and they said, We have sinned, because we have forsaken the Lord, and have served Balaam and Ashtoreth. See, this is going on in Judges. Okay? And now, deliver us out of the hand of our enemy enemies, and we will serve thee. Okay? And the Lord sent Jerubbabel. Now, who's Jerubbabel? Gideon. Okay? And Bedan, now I have no idea who Bedan is. I mean, maybe you can find out and let me know. Uh, it may not be listed in Judges, but here he's listed. And Jephthah, I know him. And Samuel, and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies. Here he even lists Samuel himself as a judge. Your enemies, every side, and you dwelt safe. And when you saw that Nahash, the king of the children of Ammon, came against you, you said unto me, Nay, but a king shall reign over us when the Lord your God was your king. Now therefore, behold the king whom you have chosen and whom you have desired. Behold, the Lord has set a king over you. And that king is Saul. Okay? 14. If you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then shall both ye and also the king that reigneth over you continue following the Lord your God. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord but rebel against the the commandment of the Lord, then shall the hand of the Lord be against you as it was against your fathers. Now therefore, stand and see this great thing which the Lord will do before your eyes. Okay? So let me back down, or go down a little bit and skip a few verses. Go down to verse 20. And Samuel said unto the people, Fear not, ye have done all this wickedness in asking for a king. He says, Yet turn not aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And turn ye not aside, for then shall ye go after vain things which cannot profit nor deliver, for they are vain. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it hath pleased the Lord to make you his people. Moreover, As for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord and ceasing to pray for you, but I will teach you the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart, for consider how great things he hath done for you. But if you shall still do wickedly, ye shall be consumed, both ye and your king. So the book of Hosea is nothing but a continuation that's been going on. All the way back to the first king, even all the way back till they were taken out of Egypt. Israel has been rebellious, but they will be restored, and it will be at, at the tribulation, and then things will be back 
to where God wants them to be. So, if you think Hosea is kind of redundant through the middle of it, then three-fourths of the Old Testament is redundant going through that because it's all based on Israel has went a-whoring after other gods and they will not be restored until the end times. And so God allows all this time to take place before they come back, which is a good thing because the church age gets put in that and you and I are, are in the mix with God and in His family because of Israel's rejection. Okay? So I know I, I probably have more to say, but I need to wrap up. So hopefully you've picked up some things on Hosea. And uh, so now when somebody says, hey, do, have you ever heard the book of Hosea? He goes, yes, let me tell you what it's all about. And uh, it's about God restoring Israel. So let's pray and we'll, we'll move on. So Father in heaven, uh, we come before you today and thank you for loving us. Thank you for the book of Hosea. Thank you for every book in your Bible, Lord. And help us to see what you want to see in these books. And how that applies to our life, how that applies to history, how that's going to apply at the end times. And Lord, help us uh, to just see that, live that out in our life. And we thank you, Lord, that you brought us into your family, into your kingdom, and into your plan and history. So we pray for that. Pray for a good day today, Lord. And we just pray for the speaker and uh, help us just to uh, have a great time of fellowship. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, you're going to give us the last week's? Yes. What are you going to start next Sunday? We're going to start some uh, history of Baptist. History of some Baptist, yes. Okay. So last week was 14. I don't know how many I have. I have at least two. Catherine, did you need one also? Yes. Okay, let me see what I got. I would like Teddy to talk about oh, good. Joseph's sons who were Ephraim and uh, Manasseh who, were, who took the place of Joseph in the line because Ephraim is there. It's the tribe. Joseph should have been the one mentioned, but Ephraim is the one mentioned and Manasseh is hardly ever mentioned. Right. I would like you to talk about this. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah, and you know why they're not mentioned a lot? You know why they're not mentioned a lot? Because they basically are the ones that lead the northern tribes into, into yeah. They're, they're, they're the ringleaders of the group. Yeah.